Coming up on episode 69 of the Upful Life Podcast. A very whimsical, very fun, very much the same Karina as before. You know what I mean? It's all, which is a funny thing to say when, you know, the old Karina, quote unquote, pre debut record Karina, six singles, right? That's all I had under my name. And they're all just so vastly different one to the next you know what i mean it's like listening to a ween record and you're like everything is like from one tune to the next completely like turns your head so that's why i don't know maybe i felt emboldened to like do whatever felt right you know what i mean i'm not trying to fit into anything i'm not trying to be like anyone i'm not trying to walk a path that's been walked you know what i mean i'm trying to do exactly what feels natural and good to me at this particular moment and that's I'm very blessed to be an artist that, you know, you, I, you'd think that all artists have the freedom to do that. You know what I mean? But some, I think, feel a lot of exterior pressures and constraints to not be like that. So if that's my cross to bear, that's my cross to bear. It's just being unequivocally yourself all the time, you know? Indeedy, welcome to the Upful Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz, and we're coming to you live and direct from the Vibe Junkie Studios in Oakland, California. It's the dog days of summer, y'all. Episode 69, we're feeling fine. Y'all know what it is. So grateful you are tuning in. Yes, indeedy. Episode 69 is proudly brought to you by I Am AVL, also known as Independent Arts and Music of Asheville. I Am AVL has been preserving and promoting the creative community in Asheville, North Carolina since 2012. Gradually watching Asheville become one of the hottest music scenes in the country, I Am AVL does all they can to support those making noise in Asheville and archive the history in the making. With live stream installations in several area venues, IMAVL streams shows six nights a week, often several shows on any given night, making Asheville the first city in the world with its music scene aggregated into one channel. Over 3,500 concerts in the archives, from national to local acts, there's plenty to explore. Recently, IMAVL streamed seven stages for four days straight for the first ever first annual multi-venue event called AVL Fest. You know, they'll probably be streaming Karina Reichman's show from the Asheville Music Hall next month. 
Now, based out of the world-class Echo Mountain Recording Studios, IMAVL produces an original series called Echo Sessions. It's six seasons deep on PBS and features artists like La Special, Billy Strings, Marcus King, Leftover Salmon, The Motet, Eric Krasno, and many more. The streams are free to watch and a free service for the bands at the venues that IMAVL is installed. It's a nonprofit, so people can donate to their efforts to supporting the arts by heading to the website, imavl.com, or scanning a QR code on a recent show archive. IMAVL is passionate about the city they live in and its amazing musical community that has been built in this little valley in the mountains. IMAVL does what they can to support their friends and family and share the magic of Asheville, North Carolina with the world. Don't stay home without it. I am AVL. Hit the link. I am AVL.com. Shout out to my man, Josh Blake, and the whole I am AVL crew. Hopefully we'll be hearing more from Josh in the coming months on the Upful Life podcast. Yes, indeedy. say thank you to everybody tuning in to the Upful Life podcast. It's an honor and a privilege to bring this show to you every month. Shout out to Lisa in Virginia who won last episode's Let Us Praise t-shirt. Now, how do you win a t-shirt? You can win one this episode as well. It's a limited edition Let Us Praise t-shirt courtesy of my man Joe and All you got to do is send me an email about why you like the podcast or screenshot a review you left on Apple Podcasts. Send it to b.getz at upfullife.com. I love to hear from the people. So if you've got an idea or a suggestion or a recommendation, constructive criticism, please shoot me an email at b.getz at upfullife.com. If you're so inclined and do have the time, please leave a review on your podcast platform of choice, preferably Apple Podcast. Does a whole lot for those pesky algorithms and bringing us some new ears, new listeners, and we sure do appreciate that. At the very least, if you wouldn't mind, just smashing that subscribe button so you get the Up for Life podcast notifications. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do so. Instagram is at upful underscore life. Facebook.com backslash upful life. That's how you find me on the socials. And of course, please slide through upfullife.com. You can check out any of my written work for Live for Live Music and elsewhere. You can find all the podcasts and you can support what I do. If you want to send me a couple dollars for making you holla, There's a support button at the top of upfullife.com, and I appreciate everybody who sends me 
anything, an email, a message, a DM, a few bucks, or just telepathically send some love and support through the pod waves. I feel that and I love y'all. So with that, upfullife.com, home base, y'all know what it is. Let's get into episode 69, the Upful Life podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. Yes, indeedy. Finally, Miss Karina Reichman has come back to the Upful Life podcast. Indeed, we did a deep dive with Karina back on episode 46 in the summer of 2021. So, for those listening, if you are less initiated or unfamiliar with her, journey and meteoric rise to budding rock superstardom please check out episode 46 of the up for life podcast it's a very illuminating and revealing chat about her journey and i say that because for this one episode 69 in summer 2023 we jump right in to the deep end deep end being her new album debut lp joyride just released last week headlining tours and all the rock and roll excesses <laughs> that come with such a uh, shot out of a cannon and into the jam band and festival and jazz fest and musical ether. So we touch on all that stuff and so much more, but it is not the career arc that is the norm for this show because we already did that. So uh, for those of you who either already did listen or are not going to. I'm going to read a few paragraphs from her bio, just so you can get up to speed. Born and raised in New York City, Karina Reichman's musical path began in her early teens, playing in bands whenever she could, while attending a veritable ton of live music as a fan. Her remarkable prowess on the bass guitar soon landed her a number of high-profile television gigs, spanning America's Got Talent to backing up pop star Julia Michaels on The Today Show. By the end of her senior year at NYU, Reichman's virtuoso talent and infectious spirit saw her invited to join pianist Marco Benevento's band, recommended by Ween bassist Dave Drywitz. With Marco, she performed countless shows, including dates with Wolfpack, Dispatch, The Clennon, Claypool, Lennon, Delirium, Guster and many more. 
She soon formed her own namesake band, accompanied by Adam November on guitar, loopers, and effects, and drummer Chris Corsico. She quickly earned a reputation as a mesmerizing, unmissable live act, lighting up an array of international stages with headline sets, show-stealing festival performances from Bonnaroo to Peach Music Festival and Sweetwater 420, as well as shows alongside Krungbin, Guster, The Disco Biscuits, many others. And a recent appearance with the 8G Band on NBC's Late Night with Seth Meyers. That same spellbinding power was soon captured on a series of independent singles, including Elevator and The Million Streaming Plants, both of which have now been newly enhanced from Reichman's debut album, Joyride, all caps. Written and recorded with childhood friend, producer Gabe Monroe, the record serves as a vivid canvas for Reichman's vibrant expression and chameleonic songcraft. What a word, chameleonic. Kudos. Joyride, all caps, features Trey Anastasio as a co-producer and featured musician. He contributes guitar on five of the album's nine tracks. This collaboration is the outcome of a happenstance encounter when both artists performed at 2021's Peach Music Festival in Scranton, PA. Trey took a profound interest in being part of Karina's debut album. Offering the uses of Fish's storied Vermont studio, The Barn, along with the suggestion to work with renowned mixer Bryce Goggin. That brings you up to the here and now. The album's out. We're going to talk about all that stuff. Now, uh, if you're curious about her relationship with Trey, at the end of episode 46, we spend about 7 to 10 minutes talking about her relationship with the Anastasio family. Like I said... We're jumping into the deep end, and I'm so uh, just honored and privileged to, to speak with Karina. I remember the moment I was formally introduced to her behind the amphitheater stage at Halloween 2018, thanks to the homie Johnny Beach. Big up yourself, Johnny Beach. And uh, yeah, I've just been kind of following Karina's uh, meteoric ascent ever since. And uh, yeah, you're going to hear our chat now. And that'll do it for the intro, episode 69, Up Full Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. We're listening to Karina, Palace Theater in Albany from this past February. Mirth Films on YouTube. And we'll hear a little bit from the album during the chat. All right, all right. Well, this is a really awesome afternoon because I have the privilege and pleasure of reconnecting with one of my favorite musicians in the game, Ms. Karina Reichman. Now, as I told you on the intro, if you're curious about her career and her and her path to now, we did a whole podcast about that in 2021, and it's amazing. And I still get notes and messages about how much people love that pod. But now, her her whole career is exploding. You can't turn on your phone or computer or go out and not hear or see something. Karina, you're omnipresent. So I had to get in on it again. Thank you. And welcome back to the Upful Life podcast. Karina Reichman. Thanks so much. That's very kind of you. This is great. I'm so happy to be back. And, uh, you know, we did such a great podcast in 2021, which is insane that that was that long ago. And uh, thank you for the kind words about right now. That's very sweet of you. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm just reporting what's happening, 
You know, it, it might be sweet, but it's the truth. Because, I mean, you're everywhere. You're prolific. You're collaborating. You're releasing. You're touring. So much to talk about. And I want to start with the here and now. Just last week, you released your second single from your forthcoming debut album. So I want to get into Beacon, the single, and then from there, just get into the process, recording the song Joyride, the record, going to the barn. So have at it. Let's start with Beacon. Tell me, is that a reference to the beloved Beacon Theater? You know, in a in a backhanded way, it is. You know, uh, I Beacon Beacon is so close to my heart. I've been sort of you know figuring this song out for so long. It feels like, and I believe the instrumental demo of Beacon was written in 2019. Like it's an old, you know, it, it's definitely an old little seedling that grew into something much much bigger. Um, and uh, and I basically I played the instrumental demo to my friend Isaac who said, you're going to play the beacon with this one. <laughs> and I laughed. And I love it. And of course, you know, we're obsessed with the Beacon Theater over here in uh, New York City. And, uh, you know, for those who don't know, I spent many, 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 many fateful nights uh, basically, you know, seeing the Allman Brothers Band at the Beacon Theater in high school and and beyond. It was like my my crack um, every March. You know, <laughs> I couldn't stay away. I had to go to every night, among other, you know, I've seen a million incredible acts at the Beacon Theater. It's one of my favorite rooms in New York, if not my very favorite, you know, not to, you know, start throwing out things like that. But anyway, uh, I, uh, yeah, so I played it for him and he said that and I was like, wow, that's great. And then that just sort of spawned, um, the subject matter for me, which became, you know, it sort of took on this double entendre meaning about sort of being like a beacon of for a lost soul that you really want to help and you really want to save. But at the end of the day, like you feel like you've done all you can. And that's why the refrain kind of goes, don't swim too fast. Try not to drown. That's like you letting go, you know, and just trying to make peace with what is. And, and, you know, you try, you try, you try. And, uh, it doesn't always it doesn't always work, you know what I mean? So it's sort of it feels like my most um, adult song in a lot of ways. It's sort of serious, you know, underneath it all. And it basically, you know, it's <laughs> the first line is you always insist on rowboating in the rain. I can't see you lunacy. We can't sustain. And that's you know, it's it's about somebody who just makes poor decision, poor decision. And they keep coming back to you and looking to you as like this beacon of light and trying and I'm trying to help. And they're trying to look for guidance. And it, it's just difficult on both ends. You know what I mean? It's one of those very sad situations um, where no one's wrong or right. It's just complicated. You know what I mean? And so that's uh, that's what beacons about. <laughs> and then, you know, just like trying to help. I don't know. The second verse, you know, I'm going cross-eyed. You can hardly see, but I find you draining on the left brain. Like these things are just like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a lot of uh, evocative imagery for a, for a sad and, and twisted situation, you know? So that's sort of, that's sort of what the song's about. And yeah, I mean, I, uh, 
I played that then instrumental demo to Isaac maybe in 2019, you know, and it just, it sort of stuck around. I basically, and we can go further into this, but you know, my, my producer who isn't Trey Anastasia, my main guy uh, is named Gabe Monroe and he and I write together and, and he produces all my stuff and he's really just, you know, more than a writing partner, more than a producer. He's my, he's my second half. You know what I mean? He's really, we share a brain and uh, we, we cultivate what we call seedlings, right? Like I said that before, but that's no bullshit. We really call them seedlings, uh, which uh, for me, it always starts instrumentally, right? And that can be a verse and a chorus, quote unquote, A section, B section, just a vibe. It's about cultivating vibe for me. And we have so many of these things lying around. And then the ones that stick in your head as like, uh, oh shit, like don't let this one go. Like this one's catchy. This one has something, you know? Beacon was one of them and it's, you know, stuck around. And then we didn't, I didn't write those lyrics until 2021, I want to say. And I remember the night where I was at Gabe's studio um, and, you know, I came in with those and I was just like, I have an idea and we tracked them. And it was like one of these, like, I don't know, crazy moments where it just, those vocals were done basically in one take, you know, we did them batch by batch but they were done and then i was just like wait are you serious like this is ridiculous and we layered them and stuff like that but it's uh it's a very i'm very proud of this song (laughs) my long-winded way of saying i'm very proud of it and it was sort of this big thing and you know stripping so much away for those wordless choruses the ooze and everything like you know you take the drums out it's like and then you know you're suspended in midair floating in water whatever it is not to get overly flowery about like the description of my fucking three minute song but it's uh you know it's an evocative tune and it was kind of a a weird decision to make that the second single you know in a lot of ways after coming out with joyride and and there was there was a lot of thought that went behind it because you know trey anastasio plays on five of the nine tunes on the record right and beacon is one that he doesn't play on and he had not like I have great stories from being in the studio and him like trying, not trying, but like having these ideas about Beacon and blah, 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 and whatever. And I was kind of like, that was the one I sort of pumped the brakes on. And I was like, you know what? I think this one is good the way it is. You know what I mean? It's like this sort of like almost dirty recording in a great way. It has character. It has vibe. It's imperfect. It's fucked up. It's weird. It's so different from my other shit. And it just felt like, I needed to let it be what it is, you know? And that's why I think that for, you know, coming in hot with Joyride is like, you know, it was like a big announcement. It was like, Trey co-produced this record and he plays on five of the nine tunes and here's Joyride. And it's a very simple message in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Like, take me on a Joyride. Take me on a Joyride. We could stay awake, we could drive on. People can understand that, you know what I mean? Like, whatever, here it is. And here's 
me riding on top of a roof of a car and blasting bass down the West Side Highway and the music video is all crazy and whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, boom, first single. And then it was like, okay, for the second single, I'm pulling it back. I'm bringing it to Beacon. It's going to be different. I don't know if people are going to understand it. I don't know if people are going to like it. It was one of those things. And it's felt like a very different kind of thing. And uh, I've been getting just, you know, we're literally talking on, what is it? Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday. And the song came out on Friday, right? So it's very, very, very much in its infancy, but I've gotten just the most beautiful feedback about it. So I'm I'm thrilled. And, you know, most importantly, I really fucking like it. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm glad that we did it this way. That's my long-winded um, first musings about Beacon for you. Well, thank you very much. I, as you know, uh, this is a uh, the podcast where you can expound and you can Fantastic. dig rabbit holes and 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 do all that stuff and not feel like you're rambling or going too much. We love that here. This is long form, especially when it's coming directly from the artist, because and even better that it's early because you're just kind of freshly unpacking it now that it's out. You've given birth to your latest creation and we are receiving it as we do. And then you're processing people's reactions. And I like that I'm, I'm putting a magnifying glass on that in real time. You know, not the song hasn't been out six months. It's been out five days. Um, and there's so much to unpack with your answer. So uh, you, you hit on some things that are on my list here. Obviously, we'll talk some Trey, but your relationship with Gabe uh, I just think that the producer artist partnership is really magical. Just, just that connection. And, and there's so many great ones over the years. So I'm curious, how did you choose or develop this with Gabe? And, and how did you get to the level that you're at now? Was it like zero to a hundred or was it many building blocks over a long period of time? Great question. And I have a multi-layered answer for you. Um, Gabe and I went to high school together. So we have known each other for quite some time in that regard. And Gabe is the nastiest bass player I know, literally. Like Gabe is, you know, and is, and back in high school, you know, he was like a god, you know, jazz bands, metal bands. We did it all together, right? But Gabe was the guy who could play, you know, uh, Pudding Time by, you know, Primus and whatever. And he could play American Life and like do everything, like all these things where I was just like, dude, like what, you know, and and. I don't know. His dad used to say, like, I knew when Gabe would fall asleep because you'd hear the bass hit the floor because he would pass out like whatever. And that's shout out Mark Simon, by the way. That's his spectacular father um, who uh, has been instrumental in a lot of the development of my music as well. So anyway, Gabe, uh, Gabe and I have known each other for quite some time and have quite a repertoire of just like, you know, friendship for many, 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 many years. And uh, and then he developed yet another skill which is being an absolutely ridiculous producer and songwriter. And, you know, he does incredible things with, um, you know, he's like a Sony ATV publishing deal and works with tons of pop acts and hip hop. So what you about to do for the evening? Your mind on straight and your thoughts still breathing. Yes, your heart on the left and you live on the right and your kidney on both sides the whole body. You didn't fail anatomy. When you fucked up, it don't matter, B. I mean, your focus is gone and your mind is too. The people around you, they not a fool. But now he's like really renowned for his, um, he does a lot of playback stuff for big pop acts and whatever. He's like flying to LA tomorrow to go and prep some people with the playback for their Lollapalooza sets and whatever. Like he's a legend in my eyes, you know? And then 
this is all to say, like, I don't know how I convinced him that, you know, <laughs> he needs to share a brain with the likes of me. But man, over a long you know period of time, we started writing together in literally like 2017 is when we started writing together. And keep in mind, I didn't release my first piece of music until June 2019, you know, and plants that was plants. Right. And so plants basically was written me and Gabe in a room. That's it. But then I took the demo, brought it to my band, taught them the parts. And then we recorded that completely, you know, like an organic band in a room, you know? So, you know, everything takes on these different forms and different, like, you know, it's, it's one of those things like songs are just songs, right? Like you can do what you want with them. You can manipulate them. You can record them this way, then record them that way and whatever. And Gabe is so awesome. And Gabe even like, you know, for my band, like played Nectars last year and uh, we've multi-tracked it. We need to get a lot better with multi-tracking like everything, but that was one where we multi-tracked it. And then I sent it right over to Gabe and Gabe mixed it. And it was on Nugs the next day. You know what I mean? Like that type of shit. So he's just this invaluable musical life partner to me. And uh, it's developed over a long period of time. And we literally, after I hang up with you, I'm going to our studio and going to track vocals for yet another seedling that we are cultivating here. So uh, it's it's just a beautiful thing. And I am so grateful to have somebody like him in my life to like, you know, really just be comfortable expressing ideas and quite literally fucking around and finding out, you know what I mean? It's crazy. Yeah. It's, it is crazy to hear that you go that far back with him and that the nature of your relationship predates the producer artist thing, just homies or fellow bass players. And then, you know, uh, you're lucky because people swing and miss with producers over and over and try one here and try one there. So to find one right off jump, that is willing to grow with you at your pace. It sounds like you're comfortable, like workshopping lyrics. We talked about Beacon, a very personal, like kind of emotional song that you were comfortable, like with Gabe. Hey, does this work? Can I sing this? Is it too intense? And that was something else he ticked off. The first answer was the choice to go with a heavier, weightier subject matter for the second single. Because, yeah, I would agree, like, uh, the if we're just tracking your releases, you know, Plants, City Kids, No Occasion, Joyride. It's fun. It's funky. We're having ourselves a time. And and I, I'm sure it sounds like it was important for you to like give people another slice of what you are as an artist. Um, do you have other songs on the record that lean in the heavier, weightier intellectual direction? I do. I do. Yeah, I know. It's funny. I've been, you know, everything up until now has been just completely lighthearted, right? Like it's just even though like, you know, a song like it's funny when you write instrumental music, right? Because some of that takes on, you know, I feel like Dirty South at times is like really heavy in its in its weight. You know what I mean? And I feel like Plants is like, it's whimsical, but it's serious. And of course, we're talking about, we're talking about instrumental music here, which is hilarious. But um, yeah, no, in terms of the record, there are definitely a few there where I'm like, I have a song called Run of the Mill, where it's just like, you know, uh, you know, the refrain being wish I was run of the mill, wish I could sit still. Wish I was run of the mill. Wish I could sit still. Wish I was run of the mill. Wish I 
which of course, and then the verse is expounding upon, you know, those sorts of feelings and, uh, you know, wishing that you could fit in and be like more palatable and regular and not such a batshit crazy artist that is so chameleonic and wanting to span genres and not give too much of a fuck about, you know, is this, are the hippies going to understand this? Are they not going to understand this? Are, you know, the indie kids going to care that this is too hippie-ish? Like, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, whatever comes out is, you know. But then, of course, the song is grappling with that. The song is like, shit, like, I wish I was running the mill. Fuck, that would be so much easier. <laughs> this was, like, simple and more straightforward, you know? Yeah, nobody wishes you were running the mill. Well, thanks. Not even me. Not even me. But it's complicated. It's complicated, you know? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't doubt it. And uh, you do it gracefully and with some verve and, and confidence. So if, if it is difficult or confusing, we can't tell. At least totally. Which is but, great. Which is yeah. great. No, I feel like it's important to touch on all those things. And I can, you know, write songs that are like, you know, uh, you know, sipping Pellegrino and she's got a bikini <laughs> under her clothes and all these things that are super funny. And, and like City Kids is so tongue in cheek and ridiculous and I love it so much. And it's, you know, it's funny. Like, that's a song that, like, I feel like it's a crowd favorite. You know, like, when I play it live, people, it's it gets a huge reaction. Like, people are stoked. Yeah, I never learn a camp. Can't even pitch a tent. I've been jumping towards South Taylor taxis with a tent. Do you need directions? I bet. It's not where you're from, but it's where I'm at. City kids don't walk on grass, oh no. But that song is like you know, has some of the fewest streams of all the tunes, you know what I mean? So it's like sort of a funny thing where you could have like a live hit, if you will. But then, you know, Plants has been streamed a million more times than that song. Actually, literally. well more than that. Like literally, actually, yeah, quite literally. You're <laughs> over a million. I was just checking. You're at like 1.2 with. Uh, yeah, totally. And City Kids has been screened. Yeah, thank you so much. It's great. I never saw that coming. So. And you're, you're about to hit 50K monthly listeners, which is a fucking really sweet. So like I said, you're doing the damn thing. And it's all going swell. It's all going swell. And of course, you know, we try not to get hung up on numbers or anything like that. But of course, it's hard not to look when these are the metrics that people use to base every, you know, whether it's ticket sales or streams or whatever. Like, it's just, you know, it's very talk about <laughs> need to write a song about that shit. It's just very hard to like peel yourself away and not get fixated on that stuff, which I think I do a pretty good job of, but it's still, it's there, man. It's yeah. fucking there. Like, you're just like, Oh God, like, you know, and then, uh, yeah. So that's, that's a whole thing. Yeah. I feel like this record definitely has a bunch of, you know, more introspective, more personal, which you would hope to see in the, you know, development, I think of any artist, like, you know, just different, just different, you know, and obviously plenty of very whimsical, very fun, very much the same Karina as before, you know what I mean? It's all, which is a funny thing to say when, you know, the old Karina, free debut record Karina, six singles, right? That's all I had under my name. And they're all just 
so vastly different one to the next. You know what I mean? It's like listening to a Ween record. <laughs> You're like, everything is like from one tune to the next completely like turns your head. So that's why, I don't know, maybe I felt emboldened to like do whatever felt right. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to fit into anything. I'm not trying to be like anyone. I'm not trying to walk a path that's been walked. You know what I mean? I'm trying to do exactly what feels natural and good to me at this particular moment. And that's, I'm very blessed to be an artist that, you know, you, I, you'd think that all artists have the freedom to do that. You know what I mean? But some, I think, feel a lot of exterior pressures and constraints to not be like that. So if that's my cross to bear, that's my cross to bear. It's just being unequivocally yourself all the time, you know? Yeah, but it, it works for you in the music. And, and I guess you're fortunate that you are, you know, liberated enough to have the ability to do six singles that are unique to each other, instrumental with lyrics, whimsical, lighthearted, deep. And and I really love the rollout for this project, the sort of the, the social media hype, then the big bomb explodes with the title track, Joyride, Trey, co-producing, playing on the track. Then you post that video of him surfing that solo one take Jake, just nailing it. So for those of you uh, curious, uh, at the end of our last podcast, I waited till the end to ask about the fish and tray stuff because I really wanted to talk about you for you and not who you knew or where you came from. But great uh, stories and the genesis of Karina's relationship with the Anastasio family can be found at the end of the last podcast. So it's not left field that you would collaborate with Trey because you've known him and his family for a long time. However, I can't say I was shocked to see the, the the level of his involvement and that you recorded in the barn and that Fred Kevorkian was involved in. I mean, really like the A team. So that, I mean, it's, it was, I was impressed and surprised and thrilled. So uh, take us through that a little bit. One of the things I was thinking about was like Joyride is, is synth synth pop esque kind of has a real like contemporary feel and the drums are like electronic drums, like almost what Closey would use, you know, like really cool. And then to hear, you know, Trey's licks over that was like uh, unicorn shit, you know, like I never heard anything like it. Forget from Trey, just in general. And that speaks to your confidence and your ability to say, like, this is what I'm doing. Like, get in, get in the whip. Let's go for a ride, you know. So I want to hear as much or as little you want to talk about uh, how did you present it? to Trey, hey, I'd like this uh, to work with you, or did he offer? And also, you know, take us on a joyride to Vermont, into the barn, into the experience. I'll tell you everything. Well, for, I mean, thanks and shit, thanks. Uh, for, before I go any further, I will set the record straight. I would never, ever ask Trey to do anything like this. Ask? Oh my God, no. Oh my God, no, that's like, no, 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 like not even, so I'll take you through all that, but I'm, but before I even delve into this answer, there's not a world in which I would ask Trey to do even a little fraction of what he's done. You know what I mean? It all stems from him and I will trace you back to right when this all began, which, uh, you know, it's funny, like we, oh man, where do I even start? So we, we saw each other. Trey and I for the first time uh, since the pandemic, basically at Peach Fest 2021, which 
just to paint a picture of what this is all about Peach Fest, for those who don't know, it's kind of a big Live Nation jammy festival in Scranton, Pennsylvania. It takes over Montage Mountain. It's a whole thing. It was my band's first time playing, but I had attended this festival maybe three, four, maybe even five times as a kid. It's sort of the Allman Brothers lineage festival, if you will. Like there's uh, there's a lot of roots. It's rooted in Allman Brothers history in a lot of ways. But this, you know, I played it again this year and we'll get into that. But, you know, it's headlined by My Morning Jacket and Ween and Les Claypool's Fearless Flying Frog Brigade and, you know, lots of lots of things that are not, you know, jam band with a capital J play this fast. Ripe, you know, all all kinds of very, very cool acts, um, as well as Goose and Mike Gordon and lots of, you know, uh, it was all it's diverse and spectacular and a great festival. So in 2021, July Peach Fest, this is like really like if you remember, we're just coming out of the pandemic and just allowed to have widespread events like this. Like it's very early, you know what I mean? And uh, to the point where like that was in July and when my band went on tour in May of that year and people were like sort of giving us the side eye like it was sort of like wait are you allowed to do this like are we allowed to gather like that you know what I mean it was it was really sort of almost taboo at that point so anyway we're there my band played at certainly at that point which was uh, far and away was our best set of music ever up until that point for sure it was like the stars aligned everything worked we played great and then thousands of people just came out of nowhere to see us on the smallest stage at, you know, four in the afternoon or whatever it was. And they're just great pictures of that day. It was incredible. I couldn't have asked for more. It, and I, like still, I attribute so much of my career to that set. Like that was so, so incredible. And then, uh, you know, we basically, I was in like a little backstage, like holding area type thing or whatever. And Trey was about to go sit in with Solis. And we ran into each other basically like it was, there were like 12 people back there. It was very shut down, you know, and it was like me and my band and Trey and his managers and tour manager and, you know, guitar tech and like, you know, a handful of other people, but we were there. And then Trey like sees me and we're seeing each other for the first time since the pandemic and then just runs to me and is just like, Karina. and I'm like, Trey, what's up? And right then, like I, I sort of didn't, I had no idea that he kept tabs on what I was doing musically. I had not a clue in the world. I, I knew yet yeah, like, yeah, I'm like one of, you know, 150 people or something he follows on Instagram, but like, what does that mean? Does he even look at that? Is it like, what? You know what I mean? I'm not even thinking about that at all, you know? And this is, you know, we've we've undergone a pandemic and whatnot, but he launches right in and starts naming all of my songs to me by name. 
and saying like, oh my God. And city kids, we play city kids around the house all the time. Sue loves it, like goes in. And I'm just like, wait, what? It's like, you know about that song? Like, fuck. Like, I mean, super shocked, you know? And, and even going deep, like, you know, mentioning like these, like, we, we made a series of like drone videos in my like little quarantine commune, if you will. <laughs> with my with my very dear friends that like you know it was just like us playing music shot from a drone right he's like and the drone videos oh my god and i'm like what anyway and he just keeps going and i'm like just shocked you know completely taken aback that he knows that i'm like i just didn't know that he paid attention like that you know what i mean and and by the way at that point i hadn't been releasing music for that long you know and not that i have been now, but like, really, truly, it's, it's, it wasn't a long amount of time. And, uh, and then he just, you know, he's going, he's like, I'm going to give you the same piece of advice that Bill Graham gave me when I was your age and blah, 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 and this, and, and, you know, just going in and, you know, we had a really amazing, like kind of half an hour, uninterrupted, incredible conversation where basically long story short, at the end of that, he was just like, Hey, can we have lunch sometime? Cause there's so much more of this that like we should talk about. And I was like, yes, we can. <laughs> and you know, it's like, yeah, anytime you want, I will be there to have lunch with you. So anyway, it was, uh, and then I feel like the following week we had like a four hour lunch where we just talked about fucking everything under the sun, just music, 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 music. And then he was asking me, you know, record and i was like oh yeah you know and basically started completely sharing with him like all the shit that i had been working on musically you know and just being like yeah like told him about gabe i got in my band and the confluence of the two and writing and demos and this and that and basically like wanting to close the floodgates at that point in favor of like not putting out you know two singles a year but i really wanted a record you know it's going to be my first larger body of music and then boom like you know i think something just clicked and he became very fixated and fascinated and ready to help you know in whatever way with the birth of my debut record you know and that was just like you know that four-hour lunch like the next day was a two-hour phone call and then the following day was another two-hour phone call where he you know he calls he's like i had a moment of clarity and then you know we discuss and I'm like, yeah, all right, yeah, you know, blah, 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 blah. And basically the long and short of all this is at the end of, you know, let's, again, tracing this back. We got Peach Fest, week after, we have a four-hour lunch, and then next day, big phone call, next day, big phone call. The end of that phone call, the upshot of all of this is, he says, like, I had a moment of clarity. I'm going to give you the barn and get you Bryce Goggin. And he's going to mix it. And I want to be a part of it in whatever way you want. You know what I mean? Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, basically at that moment, we, <laughs> I set off on a journey of my own or a journey with Gabe and with my band and blah, 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 basically cultivating the best of what I had, you know, it, musically. And basically from July of 2021 till January 2022, I spent my time refining and rewriting and this and that and blah, 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 and choosing sort of, at the time, I think we whittled it down to like 11 or 12 tunes or whatever. And then basically it was about sending the Dropbox link off to Trey and Bryce, right? So that's what Gabe and I were tasked with. 
And meanwhile, during this time, Gabe's studio floods and we lose everything and we had to move spaces and we found the space we're in now, which is fantastic and whatever. But there was a lot of turbulence to the point where we were writing and doing stuff again in Mark Simon, which is Gabe's father, his uh, his living room, you know, on the Upper West Side. We were just there like with like bare bones instruments, just trying to like get this all together because the sort of pressure was on. And I was like, didn't want to let anybody down or like not, you know, I don't know. It, it just felt like a big period of time to like really buckle down and get shit fucking together and present, you know, it's fucking intimidating to send those guys a Dropbox of your music. Like you want it to be good, God willing, you know what I mean? Or whatever. So anyway, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> I send it off January, 2022 and they are stoked and it's great. And they both have suggestions in terms of what to cut, you know what I mean? And whatever. So we cut a couple, two, three things and then whittled it down to these nine songs. And then we did one day at trout recording, which is Bryce's studio in Brooklyn. And that's where Trey that day, that was April 5th, 2022. Meanwhile, I'm touring this whole time too, by the way, it's not like, like I'm doing all kinds. <laughs> oh my God. And then trying to like figure this out in the meantime. And uh, I was, I, I was on tour the entire month of March, which is why we didn't get it done then. And he was touring. It was all crazy, you know? Um, and that day, April 5th, 2022, that's when Trey comes in. He comes in with like an iPad full of recordings of him fucking around with my tunes and like stuff like, you know, like literally like him singing all of them and reharmonizing the choruses and doing all this crazy shit like Joyride. The end of Joyride literally was, you know, he he was like, Karina, this chorus, this hook is so good. You can't just sing it twice. Are you crazy? You know, and I'm like, okay. like, I don't know, you know, like I'm. And so like the whole end of it after the solo was all Trey. He reharmed that whole thing. just had a vision for it and so we're in the studio and he's basically playing us his concept of it blah 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 recording we got that solo i was filming the exact take of that solo that we ended up using note for note you know and i was just like jesus like that was so sad <laughs> god and then he did that these tunes you haven't heard yet but there's all that you wanted he did the same thing you know comes in basically saying this chorus is so good you can't just sing it whatever two or three times like we have to like you know and so he had this whole concept for the ending song called trampoline new concept for the ending 
And just just a general like sprinkling of this and a sprinkling of that and whatever. He does the solo on Run of the Mill, which is great. And then a song called Fever Dream. He has this whole like basically just right there. He came in with all these ideas. We're playing around and we're figuring it all out. And it was just one of the most magical days of pure exploration, creativity, no judgment, no pretenses, no you know, and the funny, I have all this great footage from it. And he says, like, I have this great video where he's just like, don't be scared of the garbage can. Anything I play, throw it out. You know, like basically just being like he was so conscious of this being a Karina record, not a Trey record, you know, and wanting to just make that like keep that so preserved and whatnot. So. is that was that. And then I go on tour for another month. And then basically he gives us the barn, which was the first week of May in 2022. And he wasn't there for that. It was me, Gabe and Bryce. And Gabe and I lived there and Bryce worked from nine to 6 PM and then went away to his hotel and then came back nine to 6 PM gone, you know, and Gabe and I had plenty of fun playing with all of the incredible toys and we, you know, cooked three day, three meals a day there. And just, you know, that's where we mixed it. We mixed it all down and we figured it all out. And uh, yeah, that's the long and short of it, pal. That is the long and short of it. I, I you know, thank God rambling is allowed on this podcast because holy shit, you're getting, you're getting the hot goss right here. Getting the hot goss. We love it. I love it. I mean, it, people eat this shit up, you know? I mean, <laughs> obviously the fish nerdery but also like musicology. I mean, there's so much to unpack from what you, the story you just told. Um, first things first, and you're too humble to probably even like think about this. But when you think about like the influence and power and sort of uh, whatever Trey has just as a, as a musician and a cultural force, the way people's lives are, are affected by his music, by his words, by his, the way he moves through life, uh, you know, sometimes it's extreme, but the fact is we're on like the third generation of fans who have in essence, like anointed him and, and fish to be like the be all end all. I mean, you're in the club, I'm in the club, like, and that guy thinks this much of your stuff that he would dedicate that much time to an iPad full of ideas about your song. I mean, that just is mind boggling and a testament to like what you're up to, what you're creating. That's not like my daughter's friend from school. That's not, oh, there's this super cool, funny new artist. He believes in you in a deep, profound way. And that 
speaks more volumes than like really anything possibly could. And I mean, it's not just because Trey is like the be all end all. It's just he's brilliant, genius, influential, and his time is valuable. And he's bequeathing it to you with no expectations, just out of the pure love of art and like the, the each one teach one. Bill Graham to him, Trey to you. Like it's beautiful, it's human, it's musicology, it's so many things. So thank you for taking us on the long route because there's a lot of gold in there and nuggets and it really shows you what kind of guy he is. And, and I, uh, I, I'm just blown away. I gotta be honest. I am too. Every day. It's still, it's, I, I you can't, well, and for the record, like he is that guy, you know what I mean? Like he, and I just, it's so funny. I listened to this uh, Corey Wong podcast with Theo Katzman where they talk about, basically meeting Trey for the first time when Trey band and Wolf Peck played Red Rocks together. And they're, there's this great story in this podcast, highly recommend. It's a great listen, you know, but they're talking about meeting Trey for the first time and Trey, like going to Theo and asking him these questions and being like, so where, you know, where have you been on this tour? You know? And Theo like wants to give him the out because he thinks that he's not interested and doesn't want to talk to him. And he's too famous and too this and whatever. He's like, ah, everywhere, man. He's like, where and he's like oh you know west coast again just trying to like you know spare him the time of like trying to be nice or whatever and and trey's like where he's like oh you know our last show is in uh portland oregon he's like where (laughs) and then you know they get on this whole thing about the uh, crystal ballroom he's like oh the place with the bouncy floor. How great is that place? You know, and blah, blah, blah. And like he, you know, that's just a funny, I literally was just listening to this podcast, but it was, it cracked me up because he's that, it's so genuine. It is so genuine. His love of music, of musicians, of creativity, of mentorship, of just the pure love of the, of what he's doing. He wakes up every day at like 6am and just sits there with his voice recorder and and fires off song ideas. Boom, 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 for hours. And that's, he just loves it. You know what I mean? It could not be more genuine. He could not be, like, I still, and, you know, whatever brought our paths to cross in this way and have this, like, crazy development, you know, of, you know, knowing each other as, like, you know, I'm, like, his daughter's friend, right? Who would sleep over all the time and just, like, be around to, like, you know, when I joined Marco's band in 2022, he was, like, whoa, Karina, you're playing with my buddy Marco? Like, what? You know, and I was, like, yeah, you know, and then that was sort of another level of, like, almost becoming a musical peer, and then the Peach Fest thing was just, like, Oh, sorry. It wasn't 22. <laughs> I said 2022. I meant 2016. I'm so sorry. Um, that's when I joined Marco's band. You know, the time is a flat circle. It's very complicated. But anyway, you know, 2016, joined Marco's band. 2021, Peach Fest. Tim, his love of original music and his incredible, insatiable desire, not only to write it, but to, to you know, he wants original music to be a thing like you know what I mean he just wants people to be creating and push 
rock and roll music forward. You know what I mean? Like it's like a real thing. I don't know what he sees in me that he thinks that I can do this, but you know, God fucking bless him. And he is that guy. You know what I mean? He's the, the purest version of a selfless mentor who just wants the best. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, it completely humbles and blows my mind that I got to do any of this with him and not in, you know, we talk all the time on the phone. Like he literally like, He's so selfless. It's absolutely ridiculous and just helpful and, you know, interested and fascinating and has a million stories and a million like little tidbits for every, you know, moment of of this crazy business and career that we've both chosen. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just crazy. So, yeah, I'm, I'm blown away as well. It's uh, fortuitous and lucky and karmic and also well-earned and, uh, you know, like I said, you're in good company. I was reflecting before we talked. I remember when he came over and played with Jen's band in like 2003 at the Lions Den and then the Grab Tour. I saw a bunch of those shows where he was collaborating with Marco and Joe. And then later you referenced Wolfpack on Krungbin, Solise at that Peach Fest. He is always down and, and, and but selects unique, original, eclectic artists. It's not just jam bands with a capital J as you so saliently put it. So I, I think that's awesome. And I don't want to uh, stay on Trey for so long, uh, but one last question, you referenced it earlier, all this stuff you talked about his ingenuity, his genuine earnestness, his mentorship, his willingness to be bequeath you the barn and write parts and reharmonize songs, all that. So how do you say no to him on certain songs? Like not that you shouldn't, but where do, where do you get the sort of uh, cojones, for lack of a better term, to say, hey, bro, we're good here? Like, and was that difficult? And, and how did he take it? Well, I was laughing, you know, and I was there was, you know, meanwhile, the entire time he's literally saying, like, you know, the best thing you can do is tell me to fuck off. You know what I mean? The best thing you can do is throw 99 percent of this in the garbage can. You know what I mean? Like, this is a you record. Like, this is you. You know what I mean? This is this is he was very, very much urging that, you know, and it's just, I'm, you know, my 14 year old self is cracking up thinking that I'm going to like, you know, cause of course we, in the grand scheme of things, in terms of like what he sprinkled, like just in terms of just electric guitar on this record, we got so much of it. You know what I mean? We whittled it down and down and down and down. And Gabe and I, after this session, we sat there and just trimmed and trimmed and used what, best serve the songs and what you know i didn't want it you know you don't want it to sound like a trade record you want him to come in in these very fortuitous moments that best serve the song he happens to be a spectacular guitar player you know um with with a voice of his own of course so that's the most incredible thing is that trey always sounds like trey even in this context you know what i mean in this context as you know sounds very different like on joyride you are he is playing on a synthy, dancey, you know, psychedelic pop tune that like, and then here he comes and you're like, oh my God, that's literally, that's him. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's him, which is uh, a wild thing. But again, going back to Beacon, that was the big moment of our tracking day where like he was basically like with an acoustic guitar, trying, like just trying to search for a little something and figure this out and just like, blah, blah, blah. And talk about where do you get the cojones? I don't know. But I literally said, 
you know, after like a good moment of searching and I was just, we were both sort of feeling like it wasn't working and it wasn't the sauce for that particular tune. You know what I mean? Like this is my dark, fancy number that I went into grave explanation uh, about earlier on in this podcast, right? And I felt very, very attached to it, I will say, you know, and uh, and I said, after like a good while of Trey trying to figure this out and like us just working through it and trying to see if there was something to do with it. I said, you know, Trey, I feel like this one's good. You know, we just don't want this one to turn into adult contemporary. And he goes, what? We had like, uh, we laughed our asses off. He was like, you know, and we were laughing and he's just like, oh my God. And then he pulls up only shallow by MBV on his phone. MBV being my bloody Valentine for those who don't know. So he he pulls up this great song and he's just like, do you hear this? Do you hear this? He's like, Karina, songs have chords in them. adult contemporary like you know so we were just laughing about it and he was like he was like but i but i take your point but i take your point let's let's move on you know what i mean like and it was very like we had a good like you know laugh about it and uh and then we moved on but that was sort of like in terms of like that day like me saying no and just being like no i think i like this one like this you know what i mean and like whatever um that was that was the big one of the day and we would both laugh our asses about off about it now i've actually i literally have footage from that day of trey being like karina thinks that i'm turning her album into adult contemporary and then i turn the camera back and i say why did i say that out loud (laughs) and uh it's uh as much as you know i admire the fucking absolute ever-loving shit out of this guy right i you know he's he's the guy but like at the end of the day we're both collaborating and trying to figure this out in a real like step-by-step manner you know what i mean song by song verse by verse chorus by chorus like you're just we're stripping all of this away pretenses at the door like we're like just two musicians trying to sort this out with two brilliant producers oh you know working in the same room you know what i mean so um you know it it just it didn't in that moment (laughs) Or any moment when I talked to him, like, you know, it's just we're just people, right? Like at the end of the day, people are people. And even though he, you know, sells out 13 nights at Madison Square Garden and, you know, is my favorite musician, like, you know, those are the moments where I felt like that song, I needed to stand up for it in its, you know, in its essence. You know what I mean? Like I, I that song needed to stay the same in my opinion and a lot of the other songs needed to change you know what i mean and that's and i'm open to both you know what i mean i'm super open it's just a matter of of taste and whatnot you know so uh yeah where did i get the cojones i just don't know and you learn from that it's not just a one-time thing you learn from uh what works and what doesn't work like the the whatever changes or upgrades reharms whatever that he made you see that process you witness what your song was and what it became from his contributions and then you now have that knowledge moving forward workshopping your own stuff because he gave you those you know whatever options hey try this hey try that now you're like on every song hey i'm gonna reharm this 
I'm going to add something here. I'm going to take the drums out here because you saw how it worked. So he's not just on the record. He gave you a bunch of lessons and examples that you're going to hold on to moving forward. And oh, yeah. That's the real a gift. Ton. That's the real gift. And that no doubt is that the real gift. And he would, you know, a big thing that he was saying was like, you know, a huge part of this is I wanted this is him saying to me, he was like, I wanted you to see the way Bryce and I work together. Egoless, complete spitballing ideas just what I, you know what i mean and, and like you know bryce listens and trey spits him out and then trey you know and then bryce has an idea and then trey you know either it's just just that same thing that gabe and i god bless somehow fucking have you know what i mean it's like these guys have been doing it for years and years and years and years together and it was really important for trey to show me what his relationship to his producer is like you know what i mean and just showing just like you know, Trey, like, will take, like, a mic with no effects on it and just, like, you know, spout some words and, like, whatever and try and build off of that. And, it, you know, when you first start doing that, it always sounds weird, right? And then you just have to polish and refine and not be afraid that it's going to be shitty and, like, all those all those things that us musicians, uh, you know, freak out over. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you just got to search. You just got to search and then find and be okay with the whole process. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, you're doing it. I mean, you're you're living it and experiencing it in real time. And you've got good peeps in your corner. And speaking of relationships in many years and evolution, let's talk about your bandmates because you're still the same trio. You got Adam and Chris, and they've had the good fortune and all earned it to be on this joy ride with you. And I feel like we talked a lot about Trey and Bryce and Gabe. But obviously, as far as communicating these songs in the live element, improvisation, and just the rock and roll dream in the van, you know? And, and I want to point out you're headlining now. You just announced three more dates this morning. You sold out the hometown. I mean, shit is popping. So let's talk about your bandmates and the evolution to headliner. What's that been like? Some changes? How are they affected as much as you're affected? Sure. I mean, man, these guys, I, I, I love them more than words can tell. We got Adam November on guitar. We have Chris Corsico on the drums and cymbals. And, uh, you know, we are, we are a power trio larger than the sum of our parts. You know what I mean? That's always been important to me. And that means, you know, it's funny, like we split and we've always done it this way, which is kind of interesting. We have track playback for some tunes and not for others, you know, and then, when we improvise like a song like elevator, right. We'll play to a track. So you get those boom, 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 like little extra things will come in there that you couldn't achieve with guitar, bass and drums. You know what I mean? Like little extra instrumentation that we have a whole Ableton live setup going on at the same time and whatever. Um, Who's and triggering that? Who's triggering the Ableton? Chris. Chris, okay. Chris on drums.
So it's, yeah, we have playback going on, uh, you know, just to the left of the hi-hat. And uh, and it's not for every tune, you know, but it's for the extra instrumentation for some of the tunes where, like, you just couldn't achieve the magnitude with just the three of us. But, I, but you know, you're still, you're, when you go to see it, you're seeing real musicians playing real shit the entire time. It's just once in a while you'll get a synthesizer sound that comes out of nowhere, like that really hits, you know, speaker knocker type shit. You know what I mean? Um, so the evolution of that has been really interesting and kind of hybridizing being a completely organic band and then having these sort of extra sonic things that can come in and you know just experimenting with how that all works in the live setting and whatnot and how the new tunes are coming in but those boys are i mean they're we we had great rehearsal yesterday from 7 30 p.m to 11 p.m like you know and it's just it's the joy of my life is to get to experiment and create music with those two they are more than a guitar player and a drummer that i know at, from nyu you know what i mean they're like the mind meld is so fucked up. We had a, we were practicing dirty South last night. We're going to do a serious XM jam on like uh taping very soon. We're like, it's like 45 minutes of just like us playing and whatnot. We're picking the tunes to do for that and whatever, and dialing in like exactly what we need. And just like this dirty South jam, <laughs> we just, I, we, we were all shocked at the end of it. I was just like, what the fuck? Why weren't we recording that? Like, what the fuck? Like, that might have been the best dirty job of all time. And it was for nobody. And it was so, like, it was literally, I don't know, the the way in which not only just musically, but interpersonally, we finish each other's sentences. They're funny as shit. They're down for anything. And yeah, this whole, I mean, you know... <laughs> I'm I'm so I, n- none of us could have seen any of this coming. Not that it's that ext- like headlining is crazy. Festivals have been crazier, you know, and crazier. And we've had the great fortune of opening for, you know, Guster this entire year and the Disco Biscuits and Mo and going to Iceland with the Disco but like, you know, selling out our first time in New Orleans, like stuff like that. Like just like it's been a crazy year. And then at Peach Fest, the, the aforementioned, uh, you know, watershed moment that turned, you know, I've been back every year since, which is great. So 2021, 2022, 2023. Last year, they they brought me to the main stage from the smallest stage, but I was on really early. I was on at like 1 p.m. or something, right? And this year I was on at like 3, which made a huge difference. Like it was just like, or what, I don't know what made the difference, but uh, we played to a fucking huge crowd and it was so insane and i was just like that was like crazy yeah no the boys are pinching themselves i'm pinching myself every day i i don't you know what i mean i expected absolutely none of that i i never i don't have expectations do you know what i mean i never did it's not about what any of this elicits it's about the process you know what i mean like and that's you know i feel like that's a commonality between Trey and I like Trey just like he just loves it so much. I just love it so much. I have been doing this in weird, different forms, playing in all kinds of bands since I was 12. You know what I mean? Like I've like I playing to nobody. And I still like, you know, we have these gigs where we'll still play like it's it's not about that to me. It's just like I just want to make records and tour for my life. You know what I mean? Like I want to and then God willing, like if I enjoy this so much, really 
hope to impart that upon people. You know what I mean? And just like uplift and have people have it's 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 bigger than music. You know what I mean? It's 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 bigger than all. It's it's part. I can't even the words escape me. And as you know, if you're listening to this podcast, words don't escape me because I love to talk constantly. But it's uh, it's a very, very special and intangible thing music you know what i mean and the sort of deli- like the- <laughs> when audience and performer the lines are completely blurred and we're both creating something larger than all of us you know what i mean and not to sound so woo woo about it but really like i believe in that shit because i've experienced it and continue to experience it as both a performer and an audience member and i think that shit's powerful you know and to be a small part of any amount of it for anybody myself included you know what i mean like if i enjoy it so much i hope other people do too in even a tiny infinitesimal portion of the way i do you know so we do i think yeah it's crazy shit now it's crazy it's crazy so it's been great it's been incredible like beyond my wildest fast like wildest dreams and the boys yeah adam and chris are spectacular they're so easy to travel with they're funny as hell you know, we've done a lot of gigs this year where we literally just get in a Jeep Wrangler and drive just the three of us. That's it. You know, bass amp, guitar amp, backline drums, bada bing, bada boom. We're good. You know, it's that's great. awesome. And that's awesome. Yeah. You all have that kind of relationship and rapport off the stage as well as on the stage, because that's not always not always the case either. And I thought it was interesting how you were talking about the symbiosis of performer and fan and when the wall comes down and it's sort of just this free exchange of energy you're not being woo woo because i had frenchy the painter on just the other day that's my next pod and then you and he's a pretty working class dude from boston and he went on for for 10 minutes about that exchange and about his role in capturing it visually and, yeah and that it's a intangible thing but when it's there it's more than tangible it takes over. It's the only thing. It's the only thing. It's and, the only thing. And honestly, when it's when it's improvisational music, uh, even though you have a ton of, of pop songs and vocal songs, uh, you know, a lot of your audience and a lot of the performance is improvisational based. So that's, you know, a real chance to take people on that kind of journey because, you know, it, sometimes you crash and burn. And so the fact that you have that confidence with the improv that, you know, you go off on tangents like that, snowflake style, something new every night. And then at the same time, you have these really dialed songs, some of them with, uh, you know, backing tracks or production or whatever that, you know, are concise and, and confident. And that I think is like unique to you. Not that other artists don't do that, but you have, if somebody goes on to, Karina Reichman Spotify and listens. Yeah, there's some instrumental songs, but it really sounds like, you know, contemporary synth pop, dance pop with a little bit of a funkiness, a little prominent bass. If that person only knows Spotify and goes to the Karina Reichman, Reichman concert, they're in for uh, an awakening, not necessarily a rude one, but an awakening, you know, because you're you, what you bring is so much more than what can be contained in a three minute song on a streaming service. Thank you.
You know, I think when you talk about headlining, um, the fact that you're that type of artist uh, and that you're, you know, headlining and playing bigger rooms and getting asked on cool tours, you're it's working. And and that's why I wanted to talk to you and kind of just hear where you're coming from in 2023, because, you know, last time we talked, you were a bit more wide eyed and things were really new and you were just fucking stoked to jump in feet first. And and now, you know, not to say that you're like a old sage or anything but you have a lot of shows under your belt and a lot of great nights and full rooms and festivals with huge crowds and as you acknowledge sometimes the opposite one o'clock not a lot of people there random town and random state not a lot of people there but it's part of the process those nights might you might play your best version of xyz song to eight people you know and and that's just like a beautiful journey I like try to chronicle that stuff with artists, especially independent artists that are doing it on their own twos. And and I wanted to just kind of acknowledge not every band or artist in the scene gets a late night in New Orleans to play their own music. A lot of super jams, a lot of tribute sets. But I know Jesse Page at the Blue Nile real well. He's been on the pod. And I know Tony from the Backbeat Foundation really well who puts on the shows there and and you didn't get booked by accident you know like that speak and new orleans is, uh, is a music town it's the music town and they asked you there to jet during jazz fest just like trey he said i want to come on your album the blue nile invited you to jazz fest to play karina music and that speaks volumes and uh, what was that like what was it like to take the stage at like two in the morning on frenchman in new orleans and, and play your shit <laughs> Magic, literal magic. I, you know, that was one of those, that was like, I mean, yeah. Like, I had done that many times with Marco, you know, very blessed to have had the experience of, you know, what, what does it feel like to just maintain and maintain, maintain, and then boom, it's 2 a.m. and you have to like put on the best version of yourself. You know what I mean? And I'm like, you know, I don't do drugs. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm just naturally like trying to rest during the day and like have an espresso at midnight you know what I mean like that's my uh the way I I stay up and make it all happen you know but no to to do that and basically you know this year we did my band Blue Nile late night on the Friday and then Marco Blue Nile late night on the Saturday and uh both shows sold out and you know it was insane to have a line around the block of people trying to get in on Frenchman Street to come see me play my original music. It's absolutely unprecedented. Again, all of it is. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing. Like you know, my my New York show just sold out. You know, months and months in advance, right? And I'm just like, yo, like that's crazy. Like, like that's and it's you know it's 300 people. It's not a thousand people. You know, but like 300 people have tickets in their hands to come see me in in late September. Like, I just, I really believe that that, like, no matter how big, how small, if it was 50 people, it would be a fucking miracle. It was like, it's just, it's literally crazy to me. So, you know, every, every step of it is uh, an insane blessing and just absolutely unfathomable to me. And the New Orleans one was a big one for sure, because it was like, just all the stars aligned, sweaty rock club. Also, one thing that happened is my bass, like, the neck it was so humid right and we had just come from like the northeast 
I had just played in like, you know, New Hampshire where it was like super fucking cold and dry and whatever. And then flown to New Orleans and it was straight up like throughout the night, the neck warped in a way that I was losing frets. And I don't mean like the frets were falling off, but I mean like literally I could not from, you know, an F to an A, basically the first four or five frets slowly, but surely I couldn't play them. And there was no sound coming out. So I was like literally on the fly at three in the morning, figuring out how to do this all up the neck, you know, and like replaying like in different positions, like all of my songs and shit. So I was just like, of course, this is happening in New Orleans. Like, it's just great. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those things. But guess what? You know, you can't. And Marco and I said this to each other before we went down there. It's like, man, can't wait to play the Blue Nile. You can't play a wrong note in there. You know, that's what it feels like. That's what talk about symbiosis between fucking band and uh, audience. It's just full throttle. You walk in, it's good to go, especially that time of night, especially for that very, very, very special, as you know, Jazz Fest, you know, less we less we digress into the greatness of Jazz Fest. But man, no, it was incredibly special, incredibly special. I was proud of you. I am proud of you, but I was particularly proud of that. You know, Jazz Fest is my home away from home. And, you know, like I said earlier, it just really spoke volumes about how your original music is being received and how your performances are, are, are the same. Um, I got one more, like basically one and a half more. Cool. Sounds great. I'm ready when I'm ready for anything. Let's so, do it. Um, I wanted to talk. We didn't talk much Marco last time. Uh, I've been a huge Marco fan since the Jazz Farmers. And I remember seeing him play with the slip. So I, I, you know, he used to come, he used to even come and, and hang out with my college band. He knew one of the kids from the dorm, et cetera. So I'm just saying, I've always been a huge fan of Marco's and the different iterations of his career and, and work. And so now I've noticed that your drummer is playing some gigs in the trio. So basically you brought your guy over to Marco's thing, but you're playing Marco's music and Marco obviously uh, was the guy that really opened the door for you to kind of take your first you know, a few steps into this, this world of ours that you're now flourishing. In. So, uh, you know, how has your relationship on stage and off stage evolved with Marco since you've really stepped fully into your solo artist self? I mean, I love that man so much. He has given me everything that like he, he is one of the most well-temperamented people on the planet. I really like he's also the funniest motherfucker a lot. Like he is genuinely hysterical and so great. And I'd say, you know, our both on stage and off stage vibe has only intensified like with each passing year, each passing month, you know, and, uh, I've, you know, Tre I mean, Marco just loves Chris, my drummer, you know, so much. And he loves his playing so much. He was like, yo, damn, what? Like, you know. And, uh, you know, he asked if like Chris could come and do some gigs. Like he just was super taken by his playing, to be honest. You know what I mean? And, and Chris was beyond stoked and he was beyond stoked. And now, I mean, you know, we've played not that much this year. You know, the thing about Marco's current vibe is that J-Rad, I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. J-Rad takes up just about every weekend you know what i mean it's a huge touring juggernaut and uh and i think you know during the pandemic marco 
who, as you know, I mean, he is a road dog with a capital B, you know, that guy has been touring forever. Like, and, you know, I think during the pandemic, he really, really, you know, enjoyed being home with his two young kids and his wife and his, you know, beautiful recording studio and peacocks and very bucolic existence up in Woodstock, New York, such that like, you know, he's not going to tour that much. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, he's going to tour obviously and whatnot, but it just like the J-Rad stuff is taking over. And now he's doing all this really incredible stuff with Leon Michaels, the L Michaels affair including Coachella and stuff. I literally can't like the writing sessions with the artists that Marco has done. I'm not going to out him, but like, let's just say some of the biggest artists on the planet, he has been involved with their writing sessions. And of course, recently he, uh, this is actually out. So you talk about it. He's on the black thought record. Money, two for the hustle and one for the nighttime spread over the city like a comforter. Prime time for the predator. Fallon with Black Thought. He's out here doing Mad Lib and Freddie Gibbs. And literally, he just got back from the Montreux Jazz Fest with Mark Ronson doing it with all of those cats, with like, you know, all the people who played on, like, you know, all, you know, back to black, right? Like, you know, we got Homer and Nick, Sean, all that. Those are now like the boys, you know, and like Marco's doing the coolest shit of all time. So between some J-Rad and some of that, I feel like he's just, you know, the his own band is sort of in like flux, not flux, but just like it's just not hitting the ground as hard as it was for some of those years. And like, rightfully so, man, it's fucking cool. Like we all have like these ebbs and flows in our moments and whatnot. And I mean, the love that I have for Marco is unwavering and literally like, you know, he stays in my crib when he comes to New York. I We stay in Woodstock all the time. Like we're just, we're fucking family. We're beyond family, actually, you know? And Chris now- like on drums right like he it's that's why like when i say that chris and i are glued to the like locked at the hip we are like when we're traveling we've done plenty of marco gigs this year we're like you know i'm like oh chris you know marco gig my gig marco gig my gig like we're just always at the delta sky club together you know what i'm saying it's unbelievable um so yeah i would say that you know again to have a mentor like him and a pal and just like a person you can turn to and call and one of the fucking musical geniuses of our time really to get the honor to play with that guy is 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 never never going to be lost on me you know what i mean and i will continue to play with marco for as long as i literally can and as long as he'll have me Well, we love you with Marco just as much as we love you doing Karina stuff. I can, you know, I can remember 
when you first started, you know, singing the Butthole Surfers tune and kind of you're really giving you like a, a spotlight uh, saying like, hey, sing a song, step to the front of the stage to now. I always wax nostalgic. You know, the early trio I really loved was with Andrew Barr and Reed Mathis. And I've actually listened back to some of that stuff. And then you you compare that to the music he makes with you and DB or you and Chris now, and it's markedly different. And there are so many um you know, subtle, like 10, 20% changes along the way. It wasn't like drastic overnight, but it really went from, you know, more improv and jazzy and more in the jam band world to indie song craft, much like the slip did different music, but the evolution from improv based to strong song craft and quirkiness and all that. And I just admire Marco's confidence and his ability to just make the art that he wants. So then he comes down to New Orleans and he plays a bunch of Booker because he's in New Orleans. Marco's my favorite Booker guy. And he's not a New Orleans guy, but he is the Booker guy, especially when he plays the Leaf, which doesn't happen often. But If I ever see Marco booked at the Leaf and I'm at Fest, I'm there. But uh, yeah, I I love the evolution. And and I love how your now evolution is, is kind of, uh, you know, emboldened by his ability to have one foot in jam, one foot in indie, both middle fingers in the sky. I'm making my art and you can dance to it, clap to it or not. And and you're doing the same thing. And and I love that. And I wish that that was the norm, just unabashed uh, belief in the art and not necessarily trying to satiate the, the most metrics or cast the biggest tent. You know, and I have a bunch of questions asking about like, you know, writing indie songs versus jam or whatever. But I you've already kind of ticked off the duality of your music between jam and indie or dance and and improv. And I just think it's a beautiful sort of dalliance that you've got going. So my last question is, what are you stoked on summer 2023? Like, are there, you know, as a fan or as a musician, you're hearing artists that are doing shit that you're blowing your mind. I mean, you know, I'm a forever fan of music, right? And I just, I'm, you know, I'm a total sponge and completely open to all styles and all this shit. There's a, there's a band that I'm so hyped on that nobody knows, <laughs> or maybe people know, but I mean, I, I literally try to spread this gospel and people are like, I'm sorry, who? But they're called Tanuki Chan. And it's like female fronted thick fuzz bass ethereal vocals and psychedelic vibes and amazing melodies and i'm like what the fuck even is this dude So I'm obsessed with that or her or whatever's going on over there. Like I cannot stop listening to it. And let me, let me spell that for the people that I'm going to, I'm going to, going to pull it up. Please do. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Too, so yeah. All done. Yeah. T-A-N-U-K-I-C-H-A-N. Just there's a song called like the sun. I'm like, dude, this shit is amazing. Um, Really? Yeah. Very, very into that. I love crumb. I'm really into this band called Crumb. I'm looking uh Remy Wolf. 
is this girl that like now is like super popped off and super famous, but I feel like, you know, it's all happened very, very quickly. And uh, I think she's so cool and marches to the beat of her own drum, gives zero fucks, makes completely crazy, dope pop songs that are just like dripping in psychedelia and, and vibe, you know, incredible voice, incredible musicality, really love her. It's all day, all night, and I sing my song. Been enjoying the heavy, heavy, you know, these guys. They just played High Sierra last weekend was my introduction to them. Great. I never heard of them or seen them before. But yeah, they were a big hit. A lot of the post event, like social media chatter, High Sierra, the heavy, heavy got a lot of love. You know, it's 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 very, you know, just retro vibe. Like, you know, a lot of it sounds like the mamas and the motherfucking papas. You know what I mean? But it's really cool. And they're they're British and it's so cool. Like, you know, four part harmony live, like incredible shit that I could never do. So I'm like, these guys are awesome. And uh, their record, like, you know, I've just been spinning their record a lot, which is great. And of course, you know, who isn't but the King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard? I, you know, it uh, doesn't take a genius to to say that they're a big fan of King Giz, but I definitely am one of those people. Very much sucking at the teat of the King Giz. I'm good to go. The new shit that's super heavy. You know I love heavy metal. I'm really vibing on it. But I like, you know, that's another great inspiration of all these things that I, you know, I, I always cite Ween and I cite Beck, right? As like my chameleonic people who like, you know, are super genre fluid and give no fucks about, you know, one song will make you laugh. The next song will make you cry. The next song is heavy. The next song is slow, whatever. You know what I mean? But King is the modern day, like supernova of that, I feel like. So. Another another artist that definitely emboldens me to do whatever the fuck 
You know what I mean? If it comes out, if this song comes out like this and this song comes out like this, yeah, dude. Yeah. You know? I can see the parallels 100%. And I'm, I'm not surprised. I love how you turned the teat around back on them. That was pretty split. I mean, it's, it's a <laughs> real vibe right there. <laughs> real vibe. Totally. But uh, nonetheless, you know, the Giz, it's a phenomenon unlike really anything I've ever seen. And I'm somewhat of a novice. I mean, I've got a few records and uh, I'm into it. But I really just been kind of getting familiar in the past, I don't know, 18 months. Sure. But yeah, your boy Trey loves them too. I mean, who doesn't, right? And good for them. Way to break the mold. And and honestly, I see you as an artist in that same mold. Thank Zero you. fucks given, no genre, like uh, you're not you're not bound by anything other than your own passions and 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 yearning to do more and different and and art for art's sake, whether there's six people or six thousand. You know, you're making the art for art's sake and that commands respect. And so I'm going to tip my cap to you right now. <laughs> Thanks, pal. Thanks. I want to thank you for the time and the energy and your amazing personality and sense of humor and also the touching reflections and sort of uh, really digging deep into the experience of making the record. And I'm grateful for that. A lot of artists, you know, not necessarily on this pod, but in general, have canned answers or really like tick off the same bullet points and that was not the case here. So I want to just extend my gratitude for you bringing your full self to the Up Full Life podcast. Last things are when's the album drop and uh, any tour information you want to tell people. Yes. Yes. The album drops on August 18th. It's called Joyride. Joyride the record. You wow. A month from today. A month from this exact recording of this podcast. Unbelievable. Yes. Unbelievable. You can pre-order the vinyl at the link. Um, we'll put it I, in the show notes. Yeah, you could. Yeah, right there. You can click that link and pre-order the vinyl. Karina Reichman. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, dude, tour, um, you know, playing a lot of festivals and a lot of, you know, whatnot throughout the summer. But the real headline tour starts on September 20th. And goes, you know, from New York down to Nashville and many, many places in between. And then West Coast leg doing, you know, San Diego up to Seattle uh, towards the end of October through the beginning of November. And then, you know, we got two nights at Nectar's in Burlington, Vermont. We have Portland, Maine. We have uh, Boston, Philly, all of the above uh, in December. So that is all available information and uh, tickets are on sale now at karinareichman.com slash tour. And I look forward to seeing you there. There she goes, Ms. Karina Reichman, a deep bow and eternal thanks for round two on the Up For Life podcast. What a fascinating human, energy, infectious, and artist in every sense. Just the way she moves through life is art. And I can remember when I was first introduced her, when I first made her acquaintance proper, was behind the amphitheater stage at Halloween 2018 
thanks to our mutual friend Johnny Beach. Shout out Johnny Beach back in New York City. And I've just been kind of keeping my thumb on the pulse of the meteoric ascent of Karina Reichman ever since, coming up on five years now. I've seen her play in a variety of capacities and her her solo project is I would say destined for greatness, but I think it's well on its way because the proof is in the pudding and you heard the conversation and you heard the collaborations and you're hearing a little more from the Palace Theater this past February. So thank you, Karina, for sharing your story with us in episode 46 and then giving us an update in episode 69. You're in a rarefied air of cats that have appeared on this show twice and I look forward to us doing it again sometime down the road. Check out all things Karina Reichman. The album's called Joyride. You know that if you listen this far. KarinaReichman.com And yeah, we're going to do a little something different here. So I'm going to bring this music down and cue something else up here. switching it up a little pivot here i'm gonna tack on a second conversation to episode 69 because you know you can never have enough music enough bright lights and positive energy and beautiful humans doing the damn thing and we saw that from karina and i feel like some like-minded listeners to the Up For Life podcast and to Karina Reichman would dig on some Object Heavy, which is what you're hearing right now. Object Heavy, the song is called For The Better, the record's called Love and Gravity, and the homie is B. Swizz, Brian Swizlow. He's on keys, he's the co-founder of this band, he is a co-founder, owner, operator of Fat Bowl lifestyle brand, they make clothing, they're into cannabis, based in Humboldt County, California. I've known of B-Swizz for a long time, but only over the past couple of years have I gotten to know him a little bit. We have mad mutual friends and a lot of Venn diagram, and I've been wanting to have him on the pod, but, you know, they're not that well-known. He's not that well-known outside of NorCal and Chicago. But I thought, hey, Karina is on her way, and why not turn some of her fans and, and take some of her energy and say hey while you're here check out object heavy and check out b swizz so i have like a truncated mini conversation with brian we're both brians and uh just kind of get to know him and object heavy just a tad and maybe you know in a year or two 
as they continue to expand and get more well-known and more success and more touring. Uh, we'll have B-Swizz on for the career arc episode. But for now, let's get just a taste of what Object Heavy is all about and B-Swizz. Um, you can actually read the album review that I wrote for this record, which came out a few months back on liveforlivemusic.com, upfullife.com. I'll put it in the show notes. I love Object Heavy. The album's called Love and Gravity. It came out on Color Red. You know this is a big Color Red house. So yeah, let's hear from B-Swizz. All right, all right. Well, it's been a long time in the making. We had a false start or two, but it is finally time to welcome the one and only B-Swizz, Brian Swizlow of Object Heavy, Fat Bowl Lifestyle Brand. Long-awaited appearance on the Optical Life Podcast. What's up, dude? Yeah, man. Thank you. It's good to see you. Good to hear yeah. you. Yeah, same. Good to see you. Man, one of these days we're going to get a proper hang in person. Although we did hang after your gig with Orgone, you know, the post gig is always, you know, tired as a million people to see. But I was stoked to see that. Great gig. Fucking loved y'all. Loved fucking seeing you guys and Orgone in the bay and since then it's just been a rocket ship for object heavy so let's start with the now what have you been up to the past couple of months with the band and the record tell me about it uh well um yeah to to go back let's see it's july 20th now wow okay so june 2nd between june 2nd and july 15th we knocked out 20 shows um we the first leg was seven shows in eight days so that was um you know, mostly Bay Area, California, San Francisco, um, Sacramento, Felton, uh, Morro Bay, um, Riverside, um, Woodland. I may be missing one or two. Santa Barbara. Um, and then we were home for a few days, um, which was crazy because three of uh, three of us, three out of the five of us were all moving our residences in between tour in the middle of the tour home for a few days. Knocked out um, June 20th to the 25th, another five shows and five dates, um, which was, um, oh, yeah, we knocked, we did um, 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 Ventura Music Hall with Polyrhythmics, and we did Slow Brew with Polys. So we knocked out two dates with Polyrhythmics, which was great to see them in the real world and actually hang with them for a couple of days. We go way back. Um, so that was dope. And then Dan Weiss, who is our new drummer, which we can get to in a second, um, is Seattle and he's, he's super tight with them too. So we knocked out five dates. That was a uh, Ventura slow. Um, and then we had Santa Cruz with Harry and the Hitmen. And we were in Albany with the, with the Oak, with the Oak Oakland crew um, and uh, Oakadelic. And then we ended that five day run the second leg at the summer arts music festival, which is humble, you know, which is the humble County line. And we um, got blessed with the second to last um, slot um, just before Ozo Motley. So we, we knocked out a Saturday night prime spot um, right before Ozo, which was off the hook. It was fun to see Ozo Motley uh, for the first time in a long time. And then we were home for one day and then we drove to Colorado and we did Denver, the New Conscious. We we're in Fort Collins. Um, and then we made our way to Portland at the get down, Vashon Island. And finish that run in Bend, Oregon at the Bend Summerfest, where we actually had Cliff Porter on drums for that date. We were rocking with Jelly Bread, and Dan had to jump off to do his best friend's wedding. 
and Cliff was the dude we were rocking with. So Cliff's like, I'm in, send me the cuts. So Cliff with no rehearsal knocked out a full set in front of a lot of people <laughs> for object heavy. And that was super fun. Cause Cliff's amazing. And then that was pretty much it. And we, we had two more dates, Reading at the dip in San Jose at Mama Kin, Um, and went out on a bang Mama Kin in San Jose. It was our first time playing down in San Jose and, uh, the streets are going off in San Jose. <laughs> so that's. Uh, yeah. I bet, man, that sounds awesome because, you know, just the doing the Cali run and linking up with all those cool cats, you know, the, the big polyrhythmic South uh, Ben and I go way back and I met all the guys, especially recently just hung out with them in Albany. I missed you in Albany by like a day or two coming yeah. back from Philly but yeah. yeah, I love the fam vibes and yeah, I want to hear more about Dan Weiss getting in the mix. And you mentioned, uh, you know, that you guys kind of been on a, on a, on a tear. So for those less initiated, tell us like the sort of the journey, like what's the band about, you know, and also like how it's evolved from the beginning to now, because I think some folks, you know, they can check. I wrote an article about y'all. You have an amazing album, Love and Gravity on Color Red. Um, but I think, you know, for those less familiar or aren't on the West Coast, just give the people the 411 on Object Heavy. So Object Heavy was born um, under the name The Get Down Crew. Um, I'll give the shortest version possible. This was like in 2013. Um, I'm the only original um, and founding member um, left in the group, um, which happens um, now and then. And um, Pete Ciotti was the original drummer and he owned the Jambalaya in, in Arcata. And we're like, hey, we want to do a get down night. We want to just have a night for the players to, to play. It's not really an open mic, but it was like the touring musicians, we'd all come and get together on Monday nights because nobody has gigs. And um, and that quickly turned into Object Heavy. And we were a house band. We started writing. We decided to go in the studio. Fast forward to 2018. Let's just skip all the first four or five years of us just grinding, you know, and going through different members. People moved away. People had children. Life was happening. Um, but for me, Object Heavy um, was something that isn't supposed to end um, at, at this point. And so as we went through a few singers and a bunch of members, um, Leo Plummer came on board, Ian Taylor, longest standing member on bass, Leo on guitar, and Richard Love walked in um, around 2018 when we were actually going into our second session with Kelly Finnegan to record this album, Love and Gravity. So Johnny Woods um, on the track 1028 was our former singer. So he was on the first track, um, first, first cuts, and Pete Ciotti played on two of those drums, two or two of those sessions. But Richard Love jumped in and the band um, from 2018 till today has has grown exponentially. Our music of, of hard hitting soul music. Um, you know, we're not political. We're not religious. We're our songs are, are most definitely about love and everything in between that happens with love on a universal level, on a personal level, on a relationship level, love, romance, you know, <clears throat> um, psychological, all the different levels that you can hit um, is something that Object Heavy is really about. And although we're from Humble County, we don't really scream weed from the rooftops, but the objective is heavy and we're up here. And the Emerald Triangle is going through some real stuff. And um, so quietly, a little sprinkle of, of our inspiration is there. 
but our music is definitely um, a Cadillac soul vibe, um, a little more hard rocking on stage because while we love soul music, Erica Badu, you know, the, the 90s versions of that funk music was happening post parliament funkadelic. I mean, shit, I mean, tap them a foam, all that stuff came out in the 90s, but then you had you know, Lenny Kravitz, you had Erica Badu, and you start thinking about that sound, the, the the kids of the 60s and 70s kids, you know, and how does Object Heavy continue that sound? And thanks to Kelly Finnegan, he was like, hey, man, I think I can help you with bringing this sound together. So after watching us for a few years, he's like, yeah, I think we can do something. So Object Heavy is this hard-hitting soul band. We're with Color Red Music. We're based in Humboldt County. We've been touring like crazy. And as of this week, we actually uh, are just in the midst of signing with a booking agency. All those dates I just mentioned were booked by me um, and, uh, and uh, uh, Dan Weiss. So Dan Weiss, um, former drummer of Delvon Lamar, organ trio drummer for the Sex Tones, Drummer for Clinton Ferron um, is the drummer for Object Heavy. Proud to say he is the man. Um, and uh, so he and I basically put this tour together, um, scrambling just to get some dates under our belt. Going into the fall, uh, late summer and fall, we're, we're signing with this agency and uh, things are going to be kicking up pretty heftily, hefty, heftily this morning. I love to hear it, man. And it's well-earned and deserved, man. Uh, I'd love to hear that Dan is in the mix, been a fan of his through the DLO3 and just like kind of internet friends, not as much as you and I are, but you know, he always yeah. chimed in. And it's funny when I did the article about Object Heavy, he was in the comments being like, oh, I love that band. And now he's <laughs> in that band. So, you know, that's cool. And, and you know, it kind of gives you an extension up to the Pac Northwest because he's super dialed up there. And, you know, I would I would just be over the moon. I am personally, and I'm not even in your band that you're getting a booking agent just because it's one less admin time suck off your plate that you can then focus on self-help, you know, self-care, and also put back into the art itself and not just the admin day-to-day -day grind of keeping a band on the road. And you know, of course. That only comes with like success. There's got to be something in it for an agent or a manager or whatever. So when they come to you, it means something's good because, hey, otherwise they wouldn't be worth their time and you'd be still booking your own shit. So I'm stoked for that. That's a big step and it means there's more to come. And like, even though we're just hearing about object heavy, let's say since 2018, 2019. When you really got the engine going and of course got color red in your corner shout out to eddie uh, yeah. we love leah eddie this is also a big color red house um but you have like way deeper roots way deeper roots in like the wild wild west cannabis frontiers way deeper roots in the grateful dead community and going back to the midwest in chicago so let the folks know like outside of object heavy uh what's beast was about um, well, I mean, the, the quick is uh, I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, um, and uh, moved to California by 1996. I saw my first dead show in 1988 spring tour. Rosemont, I got to see Brent Midland. Um, so while I loved, you know, I see I see him. That's my guy right there. He's he's I'm, I'm I got the chills instantly. Um, 
But, uh, you know, I got into the dead. You know, I always liked funk music, right? I was raised on my parents' love, Bob Marley and the Whalers. So I got turned on to like old recordings like Salsalito 73. So I got to really hear that juicy organ and clavinet that the Whalers were putting out. Um, I got turned on to the brand new heavies, Heavy Rhymes Volume 1, which we touched on. Um, <clears throat> so my world has been you know, and I love Stevie Wonder and I loved the Headhunters. And I, I'm a huge fan of the Parliaments, the early Parliament Funkadelic, you know, by the time Eddie Hazel, by, by all that stuff, like by, by, by the awesome power of a fully operational mothership, which was 90s, was moving into that hip hop format of P-Funk, right? That was definitely moving into the digital age, um, but they were still trying to keep Bernie, Bernie Sprinkle in there by, by sharing that with Danny Bedrosian. Shout out to Danny. Um, who's their keyboardist and so yeah so my 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 funk roots reggae roots my love for early hip-hop i mean you know i was born in 1970 you know um just out straight transparency right here you know and so i was you know i was watching my friends break dance on linoleum and cardboard on the street and and i was you know walking around making mixtapes off wgci listening to julian jump and perez looking for hip-hop to play for my homies while they were b-boying out and we were like 12 and 13 and i was going to the axle roller rink in niles illinois and you know me and charlie tuna had this conversation because he was he was he grew up on the south side and, and, you know, in the projects and I grew up, you know, mainly in a suburb, you know, I was raised a Jewish kid and got lucky in a lot of ways, had different types of adversity, um, you know, um, but we connected on the fact that everyone met at the roller rink in the early 80s, you know, the kids from the street and the kids from the hood and the kids from the city and the kids from the suburbs. That was a place where hip hop could exist because there was no beef happening. We were hanging out. Nobody, you know what I mean? It wasn't any kind of issue. The white boys, the Asian kids and the Mexicans were over here and the brothers were hanging out. It was like, it was all good. Um, so I got to see that early on. Fast forward, like musically, you know, I found the Grateful Dead. I found Brent Midland to circle back to that and realize how funky that motherfucker is. And it's like, yeah, being a deadhead is one thing, but he really brought something that for me <clears throat> really was a huge turn on. I love Jimmy Smith. I love Lonnie Smith, Jack Duff. I like the old Oregon funk. And um, so to see someone like Brent Midland bringing that growl and aggression and pure, pure fiery passion into his, or that thing would play him. It, and I was tripping balls when I first saw my first show too. So add that to the, you know, I was on the bus instantly. So sprinkle a little grateful dead over the top of my love for funk reggae and all things soul music Motown. I got to see the four tops and the temptations at the, at the auditorium theater in Chicago in 1981. And I was like 10 or 11 years old. And my dad made me put on a trench coat and these nice shoes. And I'm like, for what, what are we going to a family party? And then I got out of the car and saw what pimping was really about. I was like, Oh, you know, I'm 11. You know what I mean? Going, I get it. So really, and I got turned on, you know, early on, and it really stuck with me. So as you move forward, thinking about Object Heavy, like in all the years of playing in music in Humboldt, and it was the jam scene, it was the funk scene, playing with dead cover bands, doing whatever, psychedelic stuff, Mugatu, all these different groups I played with, led to Afro Massive with, with our boy Boa and, 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 and that whole crew, Julian Fritz, and, 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 and a bunch of other players from Oakland. And so the Afro beat really took hold, which I always loved Fela too. So it was really fun to play this music, you know what I mean? Which I'd never really played. Keyboarding is very simple for Afrobeat. You're really chilling. That's it. You know, so I was dancing a lot and having a good time and really just backing my voice. Um, once Object Heavy started in Kelly Finnegan, so to circle it all back around when he was like, hey man, you're hard hitting soul music. If you're looking for that transistor sound, man, like I can help you bring it home. 
So that's where I'm at. And then Fapel Clothing is that other entity, which is the clothing that Chris Noonan and I started um, based on supporting musicians, artists, and and being the, the music and art and the culture and, and counterculture of Humboldt County um, without, you know, screaming weed too hard. You know, we just, you know, I didn't grow up here, so I always leave that humble shit to the humble kids, you know. Here we are. <laughs> feels right baby thanks to my man b swizz brian swizzlow object heavy humble county california it's that funky smooth groove soul vibe you're hearing this song's called feel right also from the color red record love and gravity now wrap things up appreciate everybody who's stuck with episode 69 till the very end here, like we always do about this time, the Vibe Junkie Jam. Now, we talked to Karina, we talked to B. Swizz. I wanted to pick something that kind of checked a bunch of boxes, but at the end of the day, B. Swizz is a keyboardist and one of the greatest of our generation. We spoke of with Karina, her bandmate, band leader, Marco Benevento, who I first met many moons ago my own band practice goodfoot university of vermont in the 90s but uh i might have brought that up in the episode or conversation but uh i'm gonna save that for whenever marco blesses up the up for life podcast but in the meantime we're gonna hear from marco benevento his trio with db on the drums and karina on bass and we're gonna keep it in the fam Ardmore Music Hall, my man CP, Chris Perella, he's been on the pod twice, like Karina, like I said, rarefied air, and uh, this concert is from February of 2022, one of my favorite Marco solo tunes, Dropkick, real jammed out with a sort of Booker-esque piano intro to boot, so that'll do it for episode 69 of the Up For Life podcast. It is an honor and a privilege and an extreme pleasure to bring this program to you. I appreciate everybody who tunes in. Please stop by upfullife.com, leave a review, send me an email. Y'all know what it is. Give thanks. I want to say goodbye, job bless, and we'll see you next time. Here comes Marco. Yes, indeedy.
Oh, oh, oh.